Keith Carfree or JFK. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. You're listening to a rally last month by people who want Golden Gate Park's JFK Drive to remain car-free forever. Keep JFK car-free. JFK is a one-and-a-half-mile-long roadway that runs the length of the park, from the Panhandle to the Great Highway. For years, it was a convenient shortcut for drivers trying to get through the west side of the city. But then, that road became something else when the city closed it to cars in the spring of 2020. That's when the pandemic was just getting started. JFK Drive turned into a haven for all kinds of San Franciscans. Families with strollers, rollerbladers, bicyclists, people young and old. It was a way for residents to practice social distancing safely. And in the nearly two years since, visits to this car-free space have boomed. But not everyone's happy. Closed and slow streets have become a polarizing issue in San Francisco. Businesses and car-dependent residents have complained that closing JFK Drive affects traffic and hinders park and museum access for the disabled and elderly. On Monday, the city's Recreation and Parks Department weighed in with their two cents, which was 29 pages long, a proposal that favors the road remaining permanently closed to cars. Here to talk about that proposal in more detail, the latest development in this fierce, years-long debate in the city, is Chronicle reporter Ricardo Cano, who covers transportation. Also joining me is columnist and Total SF co-host Heather Knight. Heather has tweeted and written columns enthusiastically supporting a car-free JFK drive, and she's advocated for it on Total SF. She's here to discuss her reaction to the proposal and what it may mean for the city. Heather and Ricardo, thanks for being here on Fifth Emission. Thank you. Thank you. So, Heather, I want to start with you. It's been nearly two years since JFK Drive was closed during the start of the pandemic, and you've been such a vocal advocate pushing for it to remain closed. And now the city's Recreation and Park Department is proposing to side with you and many other SF residents. How are you feeling about it? It's about time. (laughs) The fate of JFK Drive has literally been discussed for decades in San Francisco. The idea to make it car-free existed back in the 1960s. It became really heated in the 1970s, and it has been talked about and talked about and talked about. And so, as Mm -hmm. is typical in San Francisco, these conversations can go on forever. Um, This is not the last step, but it's an important one that the Recreation and Parks Department thinks it's figured out a way to make car-free JFK 24-7 permanently and And it'll go before the um, Board of Supervisors. But also a key thing that came was Mayor London Breed endorsed it as well. State Senator Scott Wiener did and three supervisors so far. So it seems like momentum is behind finally making this road car free. And you've written about this in your column. And remind us, what were the key benefits that you saw which made you such a fierce proponent (laughs) of the closure? I know. I'm kind of like a dog with a bone on some subjects, and this is definitely (laughs) one of them. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows (laughs) that I am there a lot and tweet about it regularly, as well as have written several columns. And Really, I think San Francisco's parks kind of saved me and my family during the pandemic and a lot of other San Franciscans as well when we were holed up at home. And really, the only safe thing you could do was get outside for some fresh air and exercise. And you weren't even supposed to get together with other people while you were doing that, but just to go with your household to 
places like car-free JFK or the Great Highway, which was also um, car-free. Now that's just on the weekends, but Mm -hmm. some slow streets and um, some streets in uh, McLaren Park. And it was just such a huge benefit. And I got really into visiting those spaces with my kids and we would take our bikes or um, just walk. Once we rented one of those, I don't even know what they're called, those um, four-wheel things with benches that you can (laughs) pedal down car-free JFK, stuff like that was just sort of like the highlight of our days at the during the height of the shutdown. And it just seemed so popular. People were out and about and enjoying them so much in huge numbers. And it would just seem like a shame to turn that back. And now that opinion is being supported by the Recreation and Park Department. And this proposal cited public feedback as well as data to support this recommendation. Ricardo, help us dig into the report a bit more, which I understand is a lengthy 29 pages. What were the strong factors that motivated this proposal's outcome? I think what you spoke to, the the public support is a big factor. The Rec and Park Department and the Municipal Transportation Agency have been working at this throughout the pandemic. There's been um, multiple hearings, uh, hours of public comment, hundreds of emails sent to these agencies. They've heard from more than 10,000 residents in the survey that they commissioned last year. About 70% of these respondents, you know, voice support for a permanent car-free JFK and another component of, of this is that the department studied the impacts of how this would impact traffic. And what they found was it really isn't and it hasn't impacted congestion or travel times on cars. Other arterials are, are still you know, accessible through via car. And one important thing to note is that um, car-free JFK, when there were cars on it, was part of the city's high injury corridor. So it was one of the roads where pedestrians and bicyclists were most likely to get injured by speeding cars. Um, Before, it was um, 70 to 80 percent of traffic on the street was for people going from one point outside the park to another point outside the park and just using it as a highway So I think that as we look at Vision Zero, the city's plan to eliminate traffic injuries and deaths, that that was a key part of this discussion as well, um, that it was such a dangerous road before. And now, obviously, nobody's been hit by a car on that street in the past two years. And I mean, city data aside, this has been a pretty fierce debate in the city. And Heather, you've spent some time chatting with different folks about how the closure has impacted them. And there is sort of this assumption that the closure benefited mostly young, fit, or wealthy residents, but you've argued against that. Can you tell me more? Yeah, the big opponents to this have been the California Academy of Sciences and the DeYoung Museum. And in my opinion, they've kind of used um, that as a cover. It seems like they just want to keep um, parking spaces for their employees and their donors who want to park as close to the museums as possible. And so they have made the point again and again that disabled people and elderly people can no longer access Golden Gate Park, which is just not true. I wrote a column several weeks ago that was controversial saying that I was not going to renew my membership to the DeYoung because they were spending tens of thousands of dollars to lobby supervisors to reopen the road to traffic, and I didn't want to support that. When I wrote that, the museum asked that I make a lot of changes to my column, including the fact that 
pregnant women and families with young children could also no longer reach the park, which I'm a family with young children and know firsthand that that's just flat, flat out wrong. And so it just seems like they have used um, certain arguments again and again to try to convince people that this just doesn't work for the larger community. But I've received many, many emails from people saying, I can no longer get to the park. And then when I say, well, can you tell me what neighborhood do you live in? How are you trying to get there? And I help them devise a plan and say, well, did you know that the 800 space um, garage under the music concourse is still open? Did you know that MLK as well as other roads are still open? Did you know there are 6,000 free parking spaces that are still available and more ADA parking spaces have been added than were lost in the first place. And when you actually explain what is actually happening, the vast majority of the time people will say, oh, thanks for letting me know that. I I didn't know I haven't actually tried to get to (laughs) the park. So they're just kind of Mm -hmm. buying this this line, which um, when you actually explain how the park is working, isn't really true. Ricardo, the museums and other opponents to the JFK drive closure, such as emergency responders, have cited concerns like accessibility and parking. How is the city planning to address them? Heather, you know, alluded to this, but um, the the department is, you know, making efforts to recuperate the lost disabled parking. The plan would allow for emergency responders. Uh, the, the Young's delivery vehicles, paratransit to access JFK through 8th Avenue. You know, one of the, the main points of criticism has come from, from the DeYoung. They uh, endorse this separate effort that has sprung about from Supervisor Connie Chan, who represents the, the Richmond district. Um, and, you know, she basically wants to convene a, a separate working group to keep studying this. Yeah, I think it's it's important to note also that this process has led the city to be pushed to make a lot of changes that benefit everybody who uses Golden Gate Park. The Golden Gate Park shuttle used to be like kind of iffy and not very regular. They have really beefed up that service. Um, just recently, they extended the route from Hayton Stanion through the park on JFK Drive to Transverse Drive and quite a ways um, towards the ocean, it's going to be stopping every 15 minutes at the key attractions on weekends and every 20 minutes on weekdays. It's free. And so that's a great way for anybody, including seniors and disabled people, to access that road. They've improved curb cuts and signage and put some new um, accessible walking paths to the Japanese tea garden. So I think this has really encouraged the city to make a lot of changes that will benefit everyone, including seniors and disabled people. And I also think it's important to remember that not all seniors and disabled people think the same way, obviously, like any group Mm -hmm. doesn't. And I've actually heard from many and wrote about a few um, the other day who are disabled or seniors or both and say it's so much easier to use a wide, flat um, road than narrow Um, sidewalks with a lot of obstacles or um, uneven park paths and trails that this makes it so much easier for them, especially if they're pushing a family member in a wheelchair or a stroller. Um, It's not like it only serves, you know, young guys on their bikes wearing spandex. (laughs) Well, I mean, this brings the question also that, I mean, I think some of the loudest people against the closures have been folks that are very reliant on using their cars in the city I mean, are some of their concerns valid? I, I think that there's been um, a perception from people who commute on the West Side that these um, pandemic street closures, be it 
Car Free JFK or the Great Highway, which is not going to be resolved until next year, that, you know, these closures have collectively just made it more difficult to get around that part of the city by car. But, you know, that's also one thing that the Rec and Park Department seemed to really try and um, address and, and in some ways debunk with the, the data that they include in this report, basically saying that car-free JFK in particular um, just has not resulted in any significant detriment to you know, getting around by car. The, the report really tried to address that in a definitive way, citing analysis that there might be a perception that it's affecting uh, travel times and commutes, but the data just doesn't support that. We'll have more with Ricardo Cano and Heather Knight after a short break. But first, I'd like to hear from you. The two-year anniversary of the COVID-19 shutdown is coming up. And while we're talking about the JFK drive closure potentially remaining permanent, we wonder, what's a change that you've made in your life during the pandemic that will stay permanent? Send us an email at podcasts at sfchronicle.com and tell us about the changes you've made that will stick. You can type it up or even better, email us a voice memo and you might hear yourself on Fifth Emission. That email address again is podcasts with an S at sfchronicle.com. Ricardo, you mentioned that Supervisor Connie Chan wants to convene a working group. She's in favor of a compromise approach and has supported the idea of this becoming a possible ballot measure for San Francisco voters in the fall. Heather, why might a compromise approach not work, in your opinion? (laughs) In my opinion, the compromise is what's on the table now. I don't see why we need to further debate one and a half miles of roadway when we have 1,200 miles of roadway in San Francisco for cars already. Drivers could, Mm -hmm. if you stretched them all out end-to-end, drive from here to Denver on the amount of roadway we have in San Francisco alone. So I think it's just time to um, take that one tiny step. Cities around the country and in Europe are moving towards, you know, more car-free roads as a way to revitalize their downtowns and bring more people on foot and bike and roller skates and whatever else to create, you know, Mm -hmm. community centered places where we're not just in our boxes of metal all the time. And so this is just one tiny, tiny way to move in that small direction in San Francisco. So um, I don't think we need to further compromise on that. I I say on Fifth Emission a lot that San Francisco is polarized on so many different (laughs) topics and closed and slow streets is one of them. And you both have alluded to how long and contentious this debate has been. Did it have to take this long or is this just the nature of San Francisco? I think it's the nature of San Francisco that we like to debate. Um, We believe that every single person should have their say on every single topic multiple times. (laughs) And so um, Mm -hmm. there's no fast decision making. I want to give a shout out to David Miles Jr., the godfather of skate, who's really Um, shepherded this debate since the 1970s. 
If you've been on JFK Drive to the skating place, you've probably seen him in his sparkly top hat and long furry jacket and roller skates and leg warmers. Mm-hmm. And he's such a character and I always love to see him. And the other day I talked about this notion that we might further delay this decision and have yet another working group. And he's like, what else are we going to talk about? We've talked about this in 20 different working groups already. Like, let's just, he right. said, let's just, you know, make this decision and move on to more important things. And Ricardo, what is the next step with this decision? We know ultimately the ball is in the court of the Board of Supervisors. What can we expect to happen next? First off, we don't know when the Board of Supervisors is going to take this up, whether they're going to vote on the recommendation this city department has put forth or whether they're just going to chart an entirely different course. Um, We don't really know that at the moment, but what happens next is the, the rec and park department, the SFMTA boards are going to have a joint public hearing Thursday morning, 10 a.m., in person, City Hall, room 400, uh, and decide whether they want to uh, adopt a resolution recommending this recommendation to the Board of Supervisors. It's going to be most likely another jam-packed a uh, hearing marathon meeting where um, hundreds of people are going to weigh in. And Aren't then you glad after... you get to cover that? <laughs> <laughs> Thrilled. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, that meeting is going to happen Thursday. They're going to be talking about this report more in detail. And then after that, presumably the Board of Supervisors would have a vote on this in the spring. It's still kind of up in the air, just when that's going to happen exactly. And how influential would this outcome be for other closed street debates happening in the city, including the Great Highway, which you mentioned, uh, is put off until next year? Well, I think if you look at the city planning documents and just the the vision that these agencies have for this ambitious, uh, active transportation network, the JFK closure factors pretty prominently you know, the the director of the MTA wants to uh, make the city more friendly to pedestrians and bicyclists to be able to get around the city without a car. If the city ultimately decides to make JFK Drive car-free permanently, it could, you know, be the, the, the kinetic moment that kind of forces these ambitious, sought-after changes to materialize faster. And Heather, what about for you as someone who has been a vocal proponent of closed streets, slow streets, what will this outcome mean for you? I think that JFK is, has always been the most no-brainer of all of these. People really do drive on the Great Highway to get places they need to go, whereas JFK was always just used as a shortcut. If we can't agree to take cars off one and a half miles of road and in our biggest, most prized park, then this whole thing is sunk. It would be a good beginning, but I think there's bigger fights down the road in terms of the Great Highway and and other roads. Mm -hmm. Heather, Ricardo, thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Why don't we all get together on JFK Drive sometime soon? I don't rollerblade, but I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will jog along. I yeah. don't jog. <laughs> we'll figure out something. We'll figure out something. Okay. <laughs> See you then. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Heather Knight is the co-host of the Total SF podcast, which you should go and subscribe to if you haven't already, and a columnist for The Chronicle. Ricardo Cano covers transportation. You can find their stories on JFK Drive and other closed and slow street debates in the city on sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs> 